0: Today is August 18th and I'm Anthony Hansen, Extension Educator in Integrated Pest Management based out of Morris. Earlier this morning, we recorded another episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Field Notes is a weekly update on crop conditions and management considerations. It is a webinar held at 7.30 in the morning on Wednesdays during the growing season where growers can listen in on conversations with U of M experts and get questions answered live on the air. The audio is recorded as the podcast you're listening to now. This episode was moderated by University of Minnesota Extension Crop Educator, Dave Nikolai and myself. The episode featured Dr. Dean Melvick, Extension Plant Pathologist, and Dr. Angie Peltier, Extension Educator in Crops in Northwestern Minnesota. And they both discussed disease issues that are currently occurring across the state. Especially in our drought conditions, we are still seeing some diseases pop up. Dr. Seth Nave was also online to discuss soybean agronomy, and yield components that are beginning to be locked in as the growing season begins to wind down. Remember to tune in August 25th for our last episode of the summer for more crop and pest management topics. Thank you. I think we'll start off with uh, Dean Melvick. So when we are looking at our crops now, you know there's definitely been drought symptoms out there, but now we're starting to see some other things happening, especially diseases in some pockets. So what are we seeing for diseases across the state? Okay, now what's popping up and what areas of the state are we starting to see things?
1: Well, thanks. I I can give uh, some some highlights or updates on what I've heard. But of course, uh, there are lots of eyes and ears out there and going in places that I haven't been. So if you're all seeing and hearing about things, you know, let us know. So I'm going to start a bit with soybeans. Um, First, sudden death syndrome. And I guess even to back up, as Anthony mentioned, as we all know, it's been very dry in in most places. And and I think as we all know, dry weather is not conducive to favoring most diseases. So that's one of the few bright spots with the weather. Um, But still, there have been a few places where there has been enough rain to bring some diseases on. For example, sudden death syndrome. There's some reports of that in South Central and Southeastern Minnesota. I don't think it's at terribly high levels, but I haven't seen some of those fields, so so I can't be certain. And I will say that in my research studies in both Wasik and Rosemount, where we've irrigated, uh, SDS is developing very nicely there. So certainly the warm temperatures haven't suppressed it, and it does indicate all we need is the rain, with the right kind of a field uh, to bring that disease on. And the other one related to that might be, I think about white mold. Um, Even though we don't think about white mold being a problem in a year like this usually, and I suspect some of you have seen it, there are certain fields where it is popping up at high levels. Um, Again, it's scattered and it's not widespread, but I'd I'd like to get a better handle on what you are seeing for those of you that are seeing that. So, I, for example, I, this is not Minnesota, but I heard Northern Iowa, there are some fields there that are about as bad as I've ever seen white mold in. So it's interesting. It, sometimes it doesn't take a lot. We just need the moisture even the right time to get the disease started. But on, on the side of dry weather conditions and what those actually favor, you know, we've talked about this over time. Uh, it's not something we see a lot of but charcoal rot which is a disease, a fungal disease of the soil in the soil that affects the roots and the stems. And I think uh, lots of you may not have seen it um, because we don't see it here very often, except in scattered areas, droughty, sandy areas. But I expect to see more of that. We got one sample in last week and I expect more will be coming. So that would be something definitely to watch for. You know, That's one of the more important diseases in some of the states of the south of us like Kansas and Nebraska. Um, Hopefully, the weather they have doesn't become common up here. But but we have the pathogen here, and when we have the right conditions, we're going to see some more of that. The other one I'll mention is uh, pod and stem blight caused by the Diaporthe That also is is being is favored by these conditions. And all of these diseases we're talking about are are usually, as I think most of you know, they're favored and they they develop in August usually, when, when the pods are filling on the plants. And so this is the time that they really start to appear if the weather conditions favor them. And the last one I'll mention for soybeans is frog eye leaf spot. Again, it's a leaf disease favored by you know, wet, wet conditions to some extent, but it has been showing up in areas around the state. That's one we've been watching more carefully um, lately. It's been spreading, becoming more common. If you see it or think you see it, we'd like to get some samples and not only to confirm the diagnosis, but also to test it for fungicide resistance. We're finding that a lot of the isolates that cause the pathogen that causes this in Minnesota are resistant to the sterilian class of fungicides. And we wanna know if that's real widespread or if it's more localized. So keep that in mind too. And a few minutes, Angie is gonna talk about the digital crop doc. And that's a good way if you see something, she'll talk more about it to you know, send in a picture. And then we'll tell you what we think the next steps would be like, it's not a problem or it might be a problem or it might be a disease that needs further diagnosis. And then moving on to corn. Now, nothing significant that I've seen, but small levels of Northern corn leaf blight I've seen here and there, even in non-irrigated fields. Again, a reminder that these fungi are out there and just needing the right conditions to infect. So this is not a year favorable for northern corn leaf blight, but there are some fields and spots where it is infecting. The same with rust. I've only seen low levels. But again, that's something we often see a little bit later, uh, developing the high, higher levels. And the other one, of course, of great interest and relatively new is tar spot on corn. And that one we confirmed in Minnesota as of last week in Fillmore County. And you know to back up a little bit, I think most of you know this is a new disease in the. US only for about six years now, only known in Minnesota for two years and it is spreading in the southeast. So you know I invite everybody to keep your eyes open for that because we'd like to know where it's developing, where it's spreading. And um, I guess it's another disease that's favored by wet conditions so, In most fields, you know, I don't expect to see it, but there are some places where there's just enough rain to allow it to start to develop. And I don't expect any significant problems with it this year, in most areas anyway. But again, we do wanna know where it's developing because where it has been in the past certainly increases the risk of it in the future. And the last one I'll mention, looking forward, stock rots. You know, these uh, stress conditions of almost any kind, including drought stress can increase stock crop. So watch for that on corn. Um, that could be something we see more of than we usually do. And, and I'll stop there if folks have questions. Please, I, we can answer those in a few minutes. Thanks.
0: Dean, I actually had a question a couple of days ago from a grower. So I'm in uh, kind of the Stearns and Polk County area, irrigation country pretty much. When it comes to white mold, are there differences in how you can manage that if you're on irrigated ground? I imagine you're dealing with more moisture and humidity that's more regular in that case. Is there any way to um, deal with kind of particular stages? So I mean, it's too late now in terms of when they are infected, but uh, is there anything you could do if you're irrigated, irrigated ground versus non-irrigated?
1: Well, the only thing you can potentially do on irrigated ground is you know control the water, how frequently the water is applied. You know, obviously we have to put on enough to maintain a healthy growing crop, but if we can increase the time frame between irrigations so that it, the, the foliage is, is wet less often. So instead, if we can get by with irrigating, you know, every four days versus every three days or whatever that time period is to extend the period between irrigations can be helpful. Um, I, to me, that's one of the key differences that I see between irrigated and non-irrigated ground is the potential control of water.
2: Dean, do you wanna talk a little bit about recognition of white mold? Maybe just a short review here, but folks are gonna go out and scout, particularly if they're looking at narrow-row soybeans, um, our, our uh, days actually are getting shorter, our nights are getting longer. Uh, we're gonna have more dew and you know, at some point in time here, but uh, should they be looking at the middle part of the canopy? I mean, something before they see uh, dead plants in the field in terms
1: of recognition. Yeah. The thing is, by the time we get to this time of the year, if the disease is developing, the dead plants are usually becoming pretty obvious. I have a research site right on the St. Paul campus and it's quite obvious there now. There's scattered dead plants across the whole field. Um, you know, Before that time, we could dig down into the canopy and look, look in the, below the, the top of the plant and you can often see infected stems, dying branches, dying leaves, growth of the white mold fungus on the stem. But by this time of the year, we're often seeing dead plants.
2: So looking forward to next year and, and so forth after, how long um, can sclerotia be active in that soil and effect if somebody's in a corn soybean rotation? Um, two years hence?
1: Oh, more, many more than two years. That, that's the subject of some debate. Some people say 10 years. It's, it's many years. It's very hard to rotate away from, from white mold and the sclerotia that are in the soil.
2: So variety selection, you're probably your number one
1: here. It is. It is. You know, the few things we can do in the future, certainly variety selection, choose the variety that's most resistant. Nothing is completely resistant to white mold, but a, a very susceptible versus a very, the highly resistant one does make a big difference. Widening roads can help if, that, if that's possible, uh, you know, on the farm operation. Reducing the seeding population um, can, can be helpful. And certainly fungicide applications at the right time can be helpful too. None of these are an absolute solution. But when we put them all together at the right time in the right situation, they can really reduce the amount of yield loss. Can you
2: define the right time on fungicides here?
1: Well, the right time, if we were to put one application, it's between that R1 and R2 period where the rows are filling and the plants are flowering. You know, it used to be said that applied at R1, but we all know that the very first flowers occur on soybeans, typically well below the rows before the rows are filling. You know, before the rows are filling, there's not much shading in the field. There's not much opportunity for white mold to develop and infect, although it can happen. So waiting a little bit later when the rows are filling and the plants are flowering is is a good time to put the first application on, especially if you want only one. We're putting two on, again, in the, the later R1, and then maybe R3. Timings after R3, there's not much evidence to show that they're very effective. And some products don't even allow a later application.
2: One last quick question on recognition of uh, SDS. And I know we're gonna have a field day here in Rosemont on September 9th. I'll get a plug in for that. But if should people start scouting and what are they gonna be looking for quickly?
1: Yeah, there we look for yellow and uh, brown patches on leaves, uh, typically between the veins. And it's easy to find pictures on the web, but um, it can also look very similar to brown stem rot, so keep that in mind. Um, But often SDS, first thing you see are the the small yellow patches on the leaves. Those turn brown and necrotic as they kill the leaf tissue. And you can get a lot of that in between the veins on the leaves. Um, that's that's the most obvious thing. It often starts in the middle to upper part of the middle of the canopy, but then by this time of the year, it's usually showing up at least on the tops of some of the plants.
0: Well, thanks, Dean. I think we'll move over to Angie Peltier. She's based out of Northwestern Minnesota. So, Angie, um, what are you seeing up in your neck of the woods right now? I know you're probably one of the most uh, droughty areas of the state right now, at least according to the current maps. But I know you also have uh, the digital crop dock that you manage. So do you want to describe a little bit about what's going on with that?
3: Sure. So we're, we're seeing, a, obviously a lot of drought stress in our, um, corn and soybeans. We have some fields, especially corn that have, um, you know, the plants have kind of decided to give up at this point. Um, I know that some people were considering, um, chopping that for silage. Um, I'm not sure about quality, but I know do know that you guys have, have put together quite a few um, documents on the, the Crop News, Minnesota Crop News website that can help people in making those decisions. Um, what we're seeing in, in soybean, I just visited a field last week. Um, the farmer was concerned that he was His, his field was, was worse than other people's field, but it, you know, what we're seeing is very common. Um, so large patches, particularly in the, the lowest part of, of fields and, and in those areas, especially in drought years, um, we don't have a lot of subsurface drainage in Northwest Minnesota. And so what happens when you have that situation and you don't have rainfall to kind of carry the salts from the upper part of the soil profile and down further in the soil profile is those salts tend to get wicked closer to the soil surface, particularly um, in in clay type soils, like in the Red River Valley. And so um, our plants are really suffering not only from drought stress, but also salt stress. And so if you dig those plants up, what you can see if the fields are infested with soybean cyst nematode, they are loaded, just loaded with those female nematodes, those cysts. And you can still see them even at this point in time in some fields. And so if you see those patches, go ahead and dig up your plants and take a look and see if you do have cysts, if you, especially if you don't yet know that a field is infested. Um, we're also seeing very poor nodulation when we dig up those plants. And those plants um, tend to be yellow, um, you know, above above the soil surface, the the uh, leaves are yellowing. Um, some of the plants are are losing leaves, and then um, there's no uh, pods to speak of on some of those plants. And so, um, we're really seeing severe um, effects from from drought and, and the salts related to the drought. Um, now, digital crop is is a unique program. That is sponsored by the Minnesota Soybean and Corn Research and Promotion Council. So uh, Farmers Checkoff dollars are going to fund this program. And how it works, you can go on to any internet search engine, type in digital crop doc, and it'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, go ahead and click on that. And you'll be taken to a website where there's information about just how to how to take pictures that can help us to make a diagnosis for you, a preliminary visual diagnosis. Um, and then there's several questions that we're, we are gonna ask you. So um, anytime we're trying to diagnose a, a plant disease, it's sort of a back and forth uh, 20 question scenario where we ask you about the, um, the pattern of symptoms in the field. Are you seeing it across the, the entire field? Every plant has the same symptoms? Are you seeing it in patches? How about on the plant? Are you seeing it towards the bottom of the, of the um, canopy or is it up at, at the top of the canopy? Have you dug up the roots? What, what do you see if you um, split the, the tap root or the stem? Uh, when did you last apply uh, your uh, fertilizer, fungicide, insecticide, et cetera. So those 20 questions that the the forum asks of you, be sure and and give that some thought when you're submitting your your pictures. You can submit up to 10 pictures, but it's that combination of the pictures and those 20 questions, the answers to those questions that really help us to get get towards a, a diagnosis for you. It is a a free service. So uh, soybean, corn, small grains, forages, and sugar beets are the crops that we can can accept submissions for. And so if if anybody has any questions, just go ahead and and email us um, and we can help walk you through the process.
0: Thanks, Angie. And we have a link in the chat for those on the webinar for those that'll be listening on the podcast, I'll make sure to include a link there in the episode description. So that should be easy for folks to get to, uh, when they can, uh, find the links there. At okay. Date, I think you wanted to talk to Seth a little bit.
2: Yes. Yes. I think Seth, you're muted there for just a second. I see you on, you might have there. You had your last drink of coffee right there. Um, tell us a little bit about what's happening in Minnesota on the soybean crop here in, uh, 2021. Uh, uh, what can we expect to happen uh, the rest of uh, of uh, the month here? Project into uh, next, and then we'll, we'll try not to hold you to it, but uh, we have a lot of variability out there. And so what, what are some things that farmers should be at least planning for and thinking about here uh, for this 2021 crop?
4: Yeah, thanks, Dave. So yeah, I guess, um, you know, the questions are really what do we what do we have? And what what's the potential out there? I think that's a a lot of the questions going around. Um, First, to your point about variability. I mean, that's one of my pet topics. I I think there's a lot of people that like to paint the crop with a single brush. And we know there's a lot of variability across the state, um, you know, and then across the county, and then you can really see it even within fields this year. So um, those sandy areas and fields really show up. Uh, so, what's the impact on that? I, clearly, there's going to be a big impact on yield. Uh, but this maturity question is really uh, going to be interesting this year when these soybeans mature. And, and I'm not really sure. I haven't haven't lived through a year quite like this one. Uh, but certainly, these early we've seen we're seeing some soybeans that are maturing early already. And we know that a lot of farmers are planning some very early maturity varieties for, you know, to get manure out and things like that. I'm suspecting that farmers that are kind of pushing some early maturities, either because they have a variety that yields really well, or because they want to put manure out or space out harvest or get cover crops planted. I think it's possible this year with the heat, it really drove those early season varieties a little bit harder and we may have a bigger spread in our our harvest dates this year. There's some I saw some fields over the weekend that, you know, could be ready to harvest next week. So, um things are and I don't it seems unusual for that I, I think in a normal year you'd have to be more than a full maturity group earlier than adapted to see that early of a of a of a harvest. So the question is is everything going to be pushed that hard. And I don't think so. I think the really full season stuff is going to hang on as long as there's moisture out there. Um, so we may see some really big differences, especially if we start getting rain starting this weekend and if things turn around and we get some sort of rains that'll hold these plants on, um, those longer season varieties are really going to continue to put on and maintain first maintain pods and seeds. And then, um, and then really hold those and fill out those seeds. And if we get really good conditions later, we could have some really giant seed. Because I think everywhere in the state, our seed yields are going to be limited by seed number first. Uh, and if we have good conditions, then those things will fill out well. Uh, we'll have large seeds, but um, the, the the seed you know the seed yield will still be limited by seed number. And if conditions don't improve, then we're just going to have poor yields all the way around with, with few and, and regular or small size size seed. So the, the real question that I have is, um, you know, if things do turn around and we get good rainfall late in the season, these longer season varieties could actually green up quite a bit. Uh, there's a potential for them to really hang on a long time and, um, Uh, in an extreme situations, we could have some seed. We could have some fields that had uh, a really severely seed number limited because of stress in the middle of the year, but we're able to hang on. If we get really good rainfall, they could really significantly green up and then they may not dry down very well. Um, So we could have completely the opposite side. So it all depends on what the weather hap- what obviously what happens from here on out. But there could be some very interesting things, and it could form some real challenges for farmers. And so, I think farmers need to be ready a little bit earlier. They also need to be cognizant that they may need to harvest um, parts out of fields and and capture some some uh, areas within fields, and let some other areas go a little bit longer. You know, and my always my pet is to try to harvest soybeans um, before they dry down to seven, eight, nine percent, because that's a yield loss for us when we have super dry soybeans. Uh, but it's going to be a really uh, if, if, if things stay hot and dry, that's, you know, it's going to be near impossible. But I think farmers need to be kind of open minded to think of some strategies to get in and carve out some areas and fields. So, you know, whatever that may be based on their operation and, and, um, and their resources.
2: I know that Angie had a comment, but before I get there, I have a quick two-part question. Um, we have farmers that obviously are growing different maturity groups uh, in Minnesota. What about these really earlier soybeans? If you did plant an early maturity group, how are they going to deal with the dry? Are they going to shut down a little bit earlier here because of the, uh, the drought? And then also um, going in and harvesting, uh, what's your recommendation when you have a lot of variability Uh, We talked before about foreign material. We did a series of videos and so forth, but we've got everything from water hemp to volunteer corn to um, possibly green beans um, in in there. Uh, Is it best to hold off about that? And then also maybe a comment about these uh, really like zero beans, or if you're growing an early bean, how are they going to react? Are they just going to plain uh, shut down on us uh, before the other ones?
4: Well, the maturity question, I think... My, I sus, I suspect that I think what we're looking at this year is that we're gonna, we could potentially see that real downside risk to very early maturities. I, there's a lot of years where these early maturing varieties do very, very well. They tend to be short, um, but um, if it's dry at the end of the year, they tend not to, it tends not to be much of a yield hit for us. They tend to kind of crank along. Uh, utilize up all the soil moisture towards the end of the season and, and actually yield quite well. They don't get overly um, uh, bushy and, and growthy. And so it can be limited. It can help us limit some of those really vegetative soybeans that we get in some areas. Of course, we're going to limit white mold and some of those other things because of canopy development. So, and because of just purely genetics for some areas. So there's a lot of reasons why short season varieties can do quite well for people. Uh, but I think that we're going to look, we could be seeing that real big downside risk of, of those really early beans because they're, frankly, they're shutting down. And I think the heat really drove them this year. They accumulated heat units um, that they needed for maturity much, much earlier in the season than than, an, uh, than a normal year. And so I, my, I suspect that we're going to see a bigger spread in our maturity this year. And that's going to that's gonna really penalize those early people. And the thought, you know, a lot of folks are thinking, well, they're just not gonna be able to take advantage of the late season uh, rains that we get. And that could be, that's true, but then there's also some additional penalties that they may um, may happen as well. So back to this foreign material question and weed seed, yeah, it's really, really critical. Um, I think farmers just need to be really cognizant of this. There's a number of things that we need to, to watch Um, we've seen fields that had tons of corn left in those fields. Um, volunteer corn. I've seen some really bad volunteer corn in some fields, and some of that corn actually looks quite good. (laughs) And so we're probably gonna have mature ears. Um, and then that we're gonna have corn in our soybeans, and that's a that's that's foreign material. That's that affects uh exports. Um, that and that could certainly affect these individual farmers. So a couple things I, you know, the first thing that's gonna from a practical standpoint, farmers should try to remove those weedy patches if they can by hand weeding or whatever else other means. Um, short of that, farmers really need to think about harvesting the weediest and ugliest areas, whether that's volunteer corn areas or whether that's water waterhemp. Uh, separately, uh, try to do a good job managing the combine settings, um, increase fan speed and things like that. And then try to bin those separately. Um, I think there's a lot of, the, the natural inclination for farmers is to blend everything off at the farm level, uh, but this puts farmers at a bigger risk uh, of basically downgrading the, their entire crop, putting everything into a giant bin and then actually getting dinged on every single bushel that they, they, they sell. So I think the prudent thing is to try to, try to harvest those separately, bin them separately, uh, take a hit on those at the elevator separately and then um, and then maintain their cleaner soybeans um, uh, at the marketplace and i know everybody has has theories on 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 uh, the elevators and how they're treated and and things like that and how they might come out best uh, and and i understand there's individual relationships and folks know how to manage these themselves but uh, from a very high level that's my recommendation anyway on that
2: there, there's one quick question in the chat and i think this, this is not necessarily on earlier maturity, but um, just normal maturity beans. So one of the listeners uh, has, has uh, indicated that he's starting to see yellow and, and um, soybeans and dropped leaves. So in that case, uh, it's not spider mites, but it's maybe drop related. Will rains help there at this point in time if the beans are actually starting to yellow and drop leaves in a normal maturity Soybean at this point in time, if we get a rain on on Friday Saturday,
4: it will still help. Um, there's you know even even during this senescence period, rain is still important. Uh, it's going to help the whole process help the, the the soybean plant basically remove nutrients out of out of the um, out of those leaves and mobilize it to the seed. How much it helps is is really dependent on how mature they are. Uh, and then how variable that maturity is within the canopy Um, if we get just a few top leaves and a few lower leaves that are are kind of senescing because of some stress maybe those other we've got another rank of plants within that canopy that may hang on a little bit also green pods tend to photosynthesize quite a while and um, you know certainly this year we're not short of time so the longer we can keep everything out there and and humming along, even at a low level of photosynthetic capacity, it's going to add to our yield. Um, So staying green longer is going to add yield um, this year. And so um, the longer you, any green tissue out there is going to help us. It may complicate our lives. We may wish things would just kind of finish up so we can get out there and harvest, but that green tissue is going to more or less provide yield for us even at some low level so it's a net positive i would say you know there's some other downsides i suppose to having a crop hang out there for a long time but uh, i think things should go so yeah and this is a good you know the the questioner asked that these are a a full season maturity that they're getting pushed on on um on uh, maturity so again this is good information for me is that maybe it's not all super short season varieties that are getting pushed. Everything's getting pushed a little bit. So I don't know, maybe everything's going to mature a little bit earlier this year than, than normal. So maybe only the really long, really long stuff. That's a, you know, a half maturity group longer than adapted. Maybe only those fields will really benefit from these late season in a big way. These late season rains that we're, we're hoping for anyway.
0: So, Seth, we have actually uh, one more question for you. We usually try to keep our sessions to about half an hour, so we're about there. Uh, one question that came in was asking about seed availability. Have you heard anything about what uh, seed for 2022 might look like in terms of either how easy it might be to get, uh, potential issues with production? How has that been going on the seed production end of things?
4: You know, that's always a question, but, um, you know, it's going to be maturity group dependent. Uh, The challenge we have uh, in the corn belt is that the corn belt's super wide in those group maturity group twos, threes, and very early fours, mostly threes are probably the widest area. And so we can produce, there's production plants all across the U.S. producing twos and threes. But as we get into ones and zeros, uh, the corn belt really narrows up. And so we don't have um, the breadth of uh, production facilities. And, and obviously, those are all, most of those facilities are going to be in, in drought stricken areas. So, you know, there could be some limitation as we go further north. And so the very earliest soybeans, as we, as we peak up the soybean belt um, up in the Red River Valley, Um, you know, we could have a a little bit more stress in those areas. I'm actually more concerned on the trade side. And um, my assumption is that the seed companies have really, really bulked up production um, of of everything this year, because there's a little bit unknown uh, based on what what we're going to be able to have available or what farmers are really going to request next year based on, on herbicide traits. And so Clearly the push from them is to produce the newest, best, you know, highly stacked, most highly stacked stuff. Um, and so that's going to be the big push for them. Um, and some of that actually might be produced in further south production plants and then utilized further north. It'll help us. But anyway, a lot going on there. But um, I don't, we don't, we generally don't have big issues with this, but um, certainly the bigger concern is in the north. But. One other thing is seed size. Uh, lots of little seed is still lots of little seed. And so um, we could have low yields in some of these production plants, but if seed size is small, that still produces a, a lot of um, 140, unit, um, 140 seed units for us to produce out there.
2: Okay, well, thank you very much. I just wanna put into the uh, uh, chat box again, uh, there is a crop news that was published yesterday about our uh, Rosemont uh, Field Day, which is September 9th, uh, a, a Thursday. It'll be in the morning, 8.30 registration, nine o'clock start. Uh, in addition to Dr. Dean Melvick, and, and we'll be actually able to look at the SDS plots, talk about some other soybean diseases firsthand um, uh, for people to, to see and and, and ask about. Uh, Dr. Ken Ossley will be on hand to talk about the corn rootworm situation, Anthony, which is uh, quite a concern in a lot of areas in terms of the preponderance of Corn room damage and he has some uh, good plots and so forth with traits and demonstrations and that'll be part of the tour again at Rosemont on September uh, 9th. so uh, you can uh, register and uh, give us an idea if you'd like to attend so we can plan uh, plan for that activity uh, that's coming up and there's an other. Um, uh, field days and so forth uh, in terms of the calendar and things that are, are coming up as well next week will be our last. Uh, strategic farming one unless we have an emergency something a little bit later on in the fall but our plan is to uh, primarily cover uh, some of the cover crop issues uh, that come on in in terms of soil but also I know there's people that talk about cover crops and effective white mold and and so forth so uh, Dean don't don't stray too far away Uh, we we may may have you coming off the sidelines a little bit on that but uh, nonetheless uh, will be cover crops and we have a number of our uh, University of Minnesota Extension personnel uh, that'll be talking about that and planning for not only this fall, but for next spring um, as well in a number of different crops uh, with that. So Anthony, I don't know if you have any other last uh, words. I was just gonna mention that people sign off. There is a three question survey. Uh, please take a minute to uh, fill that out uh, before you go. Any last words, Anthony?
0: Oh, I don't have anything much else to add except uh, you know, harvest season is coming up. So be safe everyone. Uh, it's you know, definitely that time of year where you know, it gets pretty busy, so keep an eye on things and keep an eye on your neighbors, too. Well,
2: thank you again to uh, Seth Nave, uh, in Extension Soybean Specialist, Dean Melvick in Plant Pathology, Corn and Soybean, and also uh, to Angie uh, from uh, way up in the North Country uh, in Crookston calling in and uh, talking a little bit about the Digital Doc and some other programs. So thank you again for attending. We appreciate your, uh, your attendance, and we look forward uh, to meeting with you again uh, next Wednesday, August 25th, uh, same time. Thank you very much.